We're going to get right to work. We pick it up in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went uh, out through all the surrounding region. Last week, if you were with us, uh, we focused on temptation, specifically Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and we saw how he overcame temptation and extrapolated the applicable uh, application for us. Um, that if he overcame temptation, that we can overcome temptation. And Jesus shows us how he overcame temptation. We saw that it, it consisted of both the preparation and the response. That Jesus prepared for temptation uh, by praying, by being empowered with and led by the Holy Spirit, and that he prepared uh, for temptation by fasting. And then when faced with temptation, that he responded to them that temptation with the Word of God. And not only was the result that Jesus Christ had victory in the temptation, but here now we read that He comes from His time of testing stronger than ever. Uh, And this tells us a little something about uh, trials and testing, that they produce fruit. James said this, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he said, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds.'" For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that word steadfastness, it it, it literally means to patiently endure and to persevere. Uh, James will go on to say this, blessed is the man who endures Temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Adam Clark, in his commentary, he says, He who, through the grace of God, resists and overcomes temptation is always bettered by it. This is one of the wonders of God's grace that those very things, I love this, which are designed for our utter ruin, he makes the instruments of our greatest good. And so here now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus returns to Galilee uh, and news of him, verse 14 says, uh, went throughout all the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, reading this in in Luke, you get the idea that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and that he came directly to the region of Galilee, and that's actually not the case. We discover in John's gospel that Jesus did a lot of things in and around Jerusalem after his time of testing before he went into the Galilee region. John tells us that major events took place preceding this. Uh, He called Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel his disciples. Uh, He turned water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. Uh, John records that he overturned the money changers' tables. Uh, That, you know, story preceded this. 
Uh, he met with the Pharisee Nicodemus, you know, the Nick at night ex- experience where Nicodemus comes to him and Jesus there in John chapter 3 utters those words which we'll see emblazoned, no doubt, in the Super Bowl on some placard. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Another event that John records that preceded this was Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, the gal who, who was, you know, had been married five times and now she's shacking up with another guy and Jesus basically tells her, look, you're drinking from the wrong well. You're looking at all these different things to satisfy the thirst that you have to be loved, and it's only found in me. And John uh, chapter 2, verse 23, makes it clear that Jesus performed many miracles in Jerusalem, and all of these events have, have transpired before what we read now uh, in Luke's gospel, and, and, uh, and so it was after these things that Jesus now comes to Galilee, and so, verse 16 says... He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, let me stop right there, and and give me your attention. I want you to take note that it was Jesus' custom to go to church every single week. It was his custom. That word custom, it's the Greek word ethos, or ethos. And, and we get the word ethics from this word. And, and it's a word that refers to character. In other words, it, it describes the guiding beliefs or ideals that go from your head and your heart and actually make it into your uh, applied character, into your applied actions, the things that you do. Really, that's the key. I mean, you can say what you believe all day long, but it's our actions that prove what it is that we truly believe. And so Jesus, his belief and his, his ethos was that he made it a priority to go to church every single week. Now, I would argue if anybody could skip going to church, it would be Jesus, right? I mean, you could just see the guy who's up there teaching and Jesus is like, oh, how cute, you're teaching the Word. Well, I am the Word, you know? <clears throat> Jesus could say, Uh, you know, wow, that was really weak. That was a lame message. You know, any message that you would preach to to God would be like, you know, pale in comparison. Jesus, you know, he could say, hey, look, I'm the Savior. I got got places to go. I got people to meet. I got stuff to do. Uh, And there you are. You're just droning on and on. You know, it's been said, you know what it means when the pastor puts his watch on the pulpit? Absolutely nothing. You know, he just keeps going on and on. And, and Jesus could go, look, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. You know, I got to take Peter and John to soccer practice or whatever it is. You know, I got all this stuff. No, he made it his practice priority. And of course, the point of application for us doesn't even need to be said, but I'll say it. If he made it a priority, how much more do we need to make it a priority? Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, uh, sort of a proof text for the importance of this. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. That's what happens here in this context. When we get together, we're exhorting one another. And he says there, the word to consider one another. 
And then that word consider really means that we're to look very intently at each other. We're, we're to have the kind of relationships that we foster here where you just sort of don't slip in and slip out. But no, where actually the roots go deep and you allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to speak into your life and maybe even to recognize that something's not right there uh, and, and to call you on it, to, to <clears throat> stir up love and good works. Now, this is why he adds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, because when you've been on the receiving end of that, and somebody loves you enough to, to call you on something, the tendency is to go, well, I'm not going back there. And he says, no, don't, go, don't, don't take that attitude. You, you run to that place. Uh, we need to do that, especially in the, day, the evil days that we live, and we see that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ's return is, is that much sooner Man, we need this. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need to make a commitment to say, uh, rather, you know, whether I'm on, on the mountaintop or whether I'm in the valley or, or whatever it is in between, I've got to make, make assembling together with the saints a priority. It's so needful, we need it. And so Jesus here, he goes to the synagogue, and the text says, says that he stood up to read. Now, the usual order of service in a synagogue began with an opening prayer, and with praise, and then, as we did this morning, a reading from the Law and the Prophets. Uh, and then there would be a sermon. And sometimes the sermon would be given by a learned visitor, and that's who Jesus is at this point. He's the learned visitor coming to his hometown there of Nazareth. And notice that the text points out that he was glorified by all. Here's what was going down. John's Gospel tells us that when he, Jesus, arrived in Galilee that the Galileans welcomed him, and here's why. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So what's going down here is that they, having been to the Passover and having seen Jesus working the miracles, that John's Gospel tells us that he worked throughout the region and stuff, so now Jesus comes to, to their hometown, and they're like, hey, great, this is their attitude, the circus has arrived. The circus is in town. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, right? I mean, this is what they're expecting. Hey, do your stuff, Jesus. We're, we're, we're here to watch. Now, verse 17 continues. It, it says, and he, Jesus, was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? We're just hanging on it. We're hanging on his word. And he began to say then, verse 21, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Now there's a lot to unpack here. To begin with, Jesus is reading here from Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is the place where Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. And specifically uh, about you know, what the coming Messiah 
is going to do? What's, his, what's going to be his, his method and his mode of operation? And what you need to understand is that every Jew lived in the expectation of the promised Messiah. They were all looking forward to the, the, the promised Messiah. And Jesus here boldly says, in effect, listen, Isaiah was writing about me, and Isaiah was writing about this moment right now. They all would have understood what that means. Now, Jesus reads again from Isaiah 61, and basically Isaiah 61 speaks of the five effects of sin that the Messiah will heal. The five effects of sin that the Messiah is going to heal or set right or, or take care of. And the first one, Jesus says, <clears throat> to preach the gospel to the poor. To preach the gospel to the poor. The idea there is that sin impoverishes us. Sin impoverishes us. And the Messiah brings good news to the poor because the Messiah is going to set the poor free. He's, he's going to, to, to take you out of your, your poor, impoverished state and he's going to bring you into, into riches. Jesus gave a parable in Matthew's Gospel. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. In other words, the idea here is that the treasures of this world are worthless. That the, 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 the treasures are absolutely worthless. The things that we trust in, the things that we invest in, the things that we break our backs to, to, to acquire unto ourselves. They're worthless. Jesus says, what profit is, to a, is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And there's so many in this world that, that have bought into the lie and they settle for the counterfeit. Just as we saw last week in Jesus' temptation and Satan takes him up, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give, I'll give them all to you. You can have them all right now. And we made the observation last week that, that, yeah, Satan has rule over this world right now, but Jesus, going uh, in, in accordance to the, the, the sovereign will of God, operating fully God and fully man, coming to redeem all of mankind, it's according to God's plan, and Jesus will receive all the kingdoms of the world. The title deed of the earth will be taken back. By Jesus and Satan will be evicted, but Jesus had to go that way through the cross. And what Satan's trying to do, he's trying to offer counterfeit, trying to say, Look, you can you can circumvent all that, and you can have all of the kingdoms now. And he works the same way in our lives where he just tempts us to riches and to the things of this world. My dad used to tell me a story, and he said, You know. What, what the kingdom of God is like, he said, it's, it, it's, like, it's like a homeless drunk that, that he lives on a street corner and, and he's got the best cardboard box on that street corner. And he's the envy of all the other drunks that, that, that are out there living you know, in, this, in this homeless squalor because he's got this best, the best cardboard box. And all the stuff, you know, in the shopping cart that he carries around. It's all of his treasures. And, and this guy wins the lottery. And the limo pulls up and says, hey, we, we, you've, got, you've got a mansion and you've got millions. And, and just hop in. And he, and he cops an attitude because they won't let him take his cardboard box. 
They're like, no, 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 the cardboard, it's not going to fit. That shopping cart full of garbage, that's not going to, you won't need that stuff where you're going. And he refuses to get in the limo because he doesn't want to give up his cardboard box. And so Jesus says, listen, the, the Messiah is coming to preach the gospel to the poor. Well, the second effect of sin that Isaiah prophet about was that Messiah will heal the broken hearted. He'll heal the broken heart. And the idea here being that sin breaks hearts, that it destroys marriages, it destroys families, it ruins reputations, and it, all the while it's promising life, but it delivers death and ruin. But Jesus brings healing. He brings healing. Years ago, when we were doing services at our vineyard campus, I remember a guy came in, he was with his wife, and I was, I was preaching a message on forgiveness. I was talking about how the Lord in Christ Jesus forgives us of all of our sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we surrender our lives to Him, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's what the Bible promises. And I went on to, to give in my message the, the idea that when we are forgiven in Christ, that we ourselves need to operate in forgiveness, that we need to extend the forgiveness that we have received, but we need to extend it to others. And so in the course, in the context of giving the message, I gave an exhortation at the end of the message at communion time. I said, listen, uh, the Bible says if you, if you come to, pre- to present your gift before God and there you, you remember that somebody's got something against you, you need, to, you need to go first, be reconciled to them, then come and present your offering to the Lord. And I, I, I said, you know, rather than taking communion... Right now, if, if you're estranged from somebody, if, if somebody's got something against you, why don't you go out in the parking lot and make a phone call? Why, why don't you pull them aside if it's somebody you're sitting with in church, you know, whatever. Why, why, why don't you be reconciled with them? Then come partake of communion. And I had this guy, and he comes forward to me in tears after, after one of the services, and he explains to me how he's been estranged. This is an old man. And he's been estranged from his, from his, or from his, from his uh, daughter for years, for decades. They haven't spoken in decades. And he said, I, I just reconciled with my daughter. She's bringing the kids out next week. You see, this is what Jesus Christ brings. He, he comes to heal the brokenhearted. Well, the third effect of sin that Isaiah prophesied about that Jesus is now reading, saying it's been fulfilled in me, is that Messiah will proclaim liberty to the captives. The idea being that sin promises freedom, but it brings bondage, right? Any drug addict will tell you that, that, that the, the promise is, hey, this is, this is great, this is freedom, and then you become in bondage to those things. But Jesus sets us free from bondage. Paul told Timothy that he was to, as a pastor, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. And he says, here's why. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth and then they will come to their senses and they'll escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Liberty to the captives. We so often... You know, I'll watch the news and I'll see somebody with, with some extreme view, some extreme political view, some extreme social view, and they'll spout out just this just foolishness. And I find myself becoming angry at the person, and the Lord will remind me 
they've just been taken captive by the enemy. They've been completely taken captive by him to do his will. And it's, it's Satan that you should be mad at. Those people you should be praying for because they're blind. And this is the next thing that Jesus sets us free from. The fourth effect of sin. Jesus said recovery of sight to the blind. And the idea here is that sin blinds us, but that Messiah will open our eyes to the truth. I'm reminded of the blind man that was healed by Jesus in John's gospel. And they, they call him before the Sanhedrin because they're all up in arms that he was healed on the Sabbath day. And, uh, and, they, and they, they call him to account. That first of all, they start giving his parents the third degree and they're like, he's an adult, ask him. And, and so they, they ask him, you know, who did it and, and what happened and who is he and all this stuff. And the, guy, the guy's response is priceless. He says, look, here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. And this is what Jesus does is that he opens our eyes to the truth. Do you remember the day that God opened your eyes to the truth when you had been blinded by sin and blinded by the things of the world and the temptation of your flesh and so on? And then all of a sudden one day it was like Jesus turned on the lights and you recognized this is, this is the truth and I haven't been walking in the truth. Well, this brings us to the fifth promise that the Messiah is going to bring that Jesus articulates here from Isaiah that the Messiah is going to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That word oppressed, it means literally to shatter. It means to break into pieces. And, and some of you... You know firsthand what this is like. And you know what it's like how, and you've seen, you've experienced how Jesus picks up your broken pieces, how, how he liberates you. you know, we were at U-Turn for Christ recently, and, and, and Van, who sings on our worship team, was just sharing his testimony. And really, uh, testimony is all about the, the setting at liberty, those who are oppressed. So much of our testimonies can be that. Van sharing how... You know, he at one time drug addicted and homeless, and how God has given him a heart for those that are caught up in addiction and and you know the homeless and and, and all and, and just how Jesus Christ he he took him when he was oppressed, shattered, broken into pieces, and and he picked up those broken pieces and he liberated him. And Jesus concludes his reading with the promise of the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord. Most commentators agree that this seems to be a reference to uh, the year of Jubilee that's described in Leviticus 25. And essentially, what happened during the year of Jubilee was that the slaves were set free, debts were canceled, and everyone got a fresh start. And this is what Jesus came to do. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Maybe today you need to hear those words. Maybe today you need a fresh start. You need a do-over in your life. And when we pray today at the end of our message, I'll give you an invitation to respond to this good news. And what Jesus is doing here, he's just summarizing what his ministry was. This is what I'm all about. These are the ABCs of me. And he's just saying, this is, this is what I've come to do. Me as the Messiah. And so he finishes, he says to these guys, today this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing. And all bore witness to him, and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? When Jesus utters these words, when he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he's answering two questions, which we've already alluded to. Who did Isaiah write about? Jesus says, me. He wrote about me. When is this going to come to pass? Jesus says, listen, Isaiah wrote of right now. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, he says, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Listen, this is what Jesus wants to do in your life. If you're poor in spirit, Jesus has come to enrich your soul. If you're brokenhearted, if Satan has ripped you off, Jesus has come to heal you. If you're in bondage to sin this morning, listen, Jesus has come to set you free. If you're blind to the things of God, Jesus has come to open your eyes. Maybe even, you know, this morning, the things that I'm saying, and it's just, you know, you're hearing it, but you're still blinded to it. You know, I, I will often challenge people with this. Listen, if you, if you say you don't believe in the Lord, I challenge you to do something. I challenge you to say, God, if you're, will, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And with an open heart, and with a, with a yielded heart, say, I, I am open to receive the truth. And some people just flat out are not open to receive the truth. But if you just pray, God, I'm, I'm open to this. If you're blind to the things of God, Jesus has come to open your eyes. Listen, if your life is shattered, he's come to put your life back together again. But listen, you got to believe. You have to believe. And, and this right here reveals, as we look at verse 22, <clears throat> what we're seeing here is they're, they're marveling at the gracious words what Jesus says, but then they're, they're troubled. They're going, you know, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's son? You see, the idea here is they're, they're saying, man, we can't deny these beautiful words. And we certainly can't deny the stuff that we saw him do miraculously in and around <coughs> Jerusalem. But we can't get over the fact that, that we watched this kid grow up here in our hometown. That the, the, the normal life that we saw this guy lead how possibly can he be the Messiah? This is what's tripping them up. In John's gospel, we're told that on his way here to Galilee, Jesus told his disciples that a prophet has no honor in his home country. Maybe you've experienced that. I certainly have, right? Where that what happens is that, that people like the, the Galileans, they, they see the miraculous things that Jesus has done in you. But they can't get over who you are, who you used to be. That was my testimony when I was at the fire department. I really uh, rededicated my life in my, at the very beginning. I just got hired at the fire department. And, and for the first literally couple of months, I was Ted walking in the world who'd walked away from the Lord. And, and then God getting a hold of me because he's the hound of heaven who will hunt you down and brought me back to himself. Now God begins to trans transform my life. And I was years there at the fire department. And years people saw me as the guy that, that they met the first two months that I was at the fire department and not recognizing me as being a new creation. They could see the change in me, but they couldn't receive it. Maybe you've experienced that with family or friend. You know, you go to share the gospel with your mom. She's like, I changed your diapers. Don't go talking to me about, you know, the things of, 
eternity or whatever it is. But this is what Jesus is up against here. But I want you to take note, it's more than that. Verse 23, he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard you heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Jesus begins by exposing their hearts and their motives. He says, look, here's what you're thinking and here's what you're about to say to me. You're about to say, hey, physician, heal yourself. Do miracles here like you did in Capernaum. In other words, what he says is, look, your attitude is show us a miracle and we'll believe you. That's, that's, that's where they're coming from. Hey, give us the free stuff. You know, be pinata Jesus. Be Oprah Winfrey Jesus. You get it and you get it and you get it. You know, this is, this is what we want to see. Listen, God didn't send us his son to die on the cross for our sins in order to be a welcome addition to your kingdom. That is not why Jesus came. He didn't come to be your celestial pinata that you, you know, through the prayer is the stick, you just get to beat on the pinata and wait for all the goodies to pile out. That's, that's not what it's all about. Listen, he came to set you free from this world. He came to set you free from your cardboard box. From your, from your stolen grocery basket of, of goodies, that uh, all your worldly possessions, metaphorically speaking, Jesus came to set you free from all of that. And here now, Jesus knows as he's seeing them and as their hearts are revealed to him, he knows, look, whatever signs I might perform, it's not going to be good enough for you anyway. You're going to scoff if I don't perform signs, and you're going to scoff if I do perform signs. You're just not going to believe regardless of what I do. Why? Because they lacked faith. It's been said there's none so blind as those who will not see. We see an example of this in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus there, he heals a man. This man, this particular man, he's blind, he's mute, and he's demon-possessed. Trifecta of bummer right there for this guy. And Jesus shows up, and he heals him, and, he, and so he casts the demon out, restores his sight, restores his speech, and how do you think the religious leaders responded? They saw that sign. Did they say, oh, we'll receive you now. You're the Messiah. No, here's what they said. It says, when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. So Jesus, he knows when he's talking to these Galileans, hey, I, I do a miracle. It doesn't matter. You, you, I can see right through you. I can see your heart. It's not about the, the, the signs. It's about, it's about your heart. You lack faith. You refuse to believe. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so what Jesus says here is, look, I, I'm not giving you a sign because your problem runs deeper than that. And here now, beginning in verse 25, Jesus begins to stick his finger in their chest to say, Look, let me just right now show you the root of your problem. <clears throat> verse 25 But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except, uh, except to Zarephath. In the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. 
And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except uh, Naaman the Syrian. Here's what you need to understand. The Jews were very nationalistic. They viewed themselves as God's chosen people and saw themselves as well-deserving. They had a very entitled mindset where religion is concerned. And they didn't think, they thought that they were worthy of all of God's love and all of God's blessings because of their works and because of their religion, because they were such holy and pious people. But they didn't think anybody else were. They, they thought that Gentiles, they actually taught this in, their, in what I'm about to tell you, they taught in their synagogues that Gentiles were created by God as, as fuel for the fires of hell. That, that God created everybody who wasn't them, who wasn't a Jew, he made them to burn in hell and to be firewood, basically, to keep hell hot. That was their attitude. As well, they were proudly religious and self-righteous. They related to God on the basis of their works. And it was because they kept all the points of the law, which they didn't, but they saw themselves as, oh, we're, we do all of this stuff. Now, what they didn't realize is God gave us his law so that we would see our need for Christ. The Bible says that that's what the law is for. It's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. In other words, you start trying to keep the law, and at some point, God would hope that you would realize, I ain't perfect. I can't keep this law. Help, God. And that's what he wants you to do. He just wants you to come to the end of yourself where you realize, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. And it's just, it's, it, that's my inclination. And I need a Savior. So Jesus, knowing that this is the condition of their heart, that they are proudly self-righteous, he takes the opportunity here to remind them of God's heart for the lost. And what he does is he gives us two examples. He gives us an example of the feeding of a widow and the example of a healing of a leper, right? And, and in both of these examples that Jesus talks about, they're people that God reached out to who weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. How's that going to play for Jesus here as he's in the synagogue basically saying, look, God showed up. In the days of Elijah and in the days of Elisha, and he did these great things for Gentiles. That's who he reached out to. Man, their kettle is about to boil, and we're going to see that here in a minute. He just wants to show them, Jesus wants to show them, look, God's, God's heart is for the lost. And what he's saying is, listen, salvation isn't about merit, it's about grace. That's the beautiful thing of our Messiah, of our Lord and Savior. That he has come in his grace and in his mercy because he knows you and I are a piece of work. And we, we let Satan trip us up. We get to the place where we think, you know, I, oh, I haven't performed well today as a, as a Christian and God must be angry with me. No, God loves you. And whatever sin you have done, he's forgiven He's cleansed. He sees you holy and righteous and pure. And that is not a license to go on sinning. What that is, is, well, the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. When God reveals his great, and when you really grasp his great love for you, that there's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. Wow, it's just such a beautiful picture of the Lord's love. 
and that nobody is outside of the need of God's healing grace. That's what Jesus is telling these, these, these folks in this synagogue here. He's saying, look, nobody, not even you, are outside of the need for God's saving grace. But listen, you got to humble yourself. And what Jesus could say to these people is, listen, you're in the most danger because you don't think you need mercy and grace. You think you're all good. But you got to humbly believe by faith. you got to humbly receive by faith. And it's all predicated on faith. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, here it is. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And that is what Jesus is sticking his finger on the heart of here as he tells these two stories to these folks. And as he tells them, no, I'm not going to perform for you. No, I'm not going to be a miracle, do a miracle for you. Because your problem really isn't with me, it's with you. Has nothing to do with God. Has everything to do with you. Well, this pushes them right over the edge. Verse 28, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they're filled with wrath. Filled with wrath. And they rose up and they thrust him out of the city and they led him to the, to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. And then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Listen, in closing here, here's what I want to say to you. I want to point out the tragedy here. That Jesus came to his own, and they rejected him. And he came with a message of love and of mercy and of grace to, 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 to set the poor free, the, to set those in bondage free, to, to heal the brokenhearted. This is what Jesus came to do. And the tragedy here, as you read it, is that he passed through the midst of them and he went his way. I want you to understand, Jesus passes through the midst of us today. He passes through our midst. And we, like those on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching, when we are cut to the heart, we can respond and say, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus would say, I'm right here. Salvation is right here. Freedom is right here. I'll set you free. I'll make all things right. Or we, like in the days of Stephen, can receive this word and it can cut us to the heart and we can react. Like those here, cut to the heart. They were so close. All they had to do was believe and receive. 